Hey, 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 welcome to Novel Finds, the podcast where we talk about your favorite books, our favorite books, and everything in between. Hey, it's me, Maggie, and I am here with my very last author interview of our third season. I'm incredibly excited. I went back to my roots with this last author interview with a historical fiction piece, um, some romance in there too. You guys know a big fan of romance. I am here with Margarita Baresi on her debut novel, A Delicate Marriage. Margarita, how are you? I'm well, Maggie. Thank you for having me. Thank you for being here. I'm really excited to delve into your book and just to talk all about your inspiration and your characters. But before we get started, just a little warm-up question. Uh, What is your very favorite place or where is your very favorite place to read? Definitely in bed, cozy under the covers um, every single night. But I also love a good couch read on a rainy day. Yeah, (laughs) both good. (laughs) Comfort is key. Absolutely, absolutely. I've started um, reading before bed as a way to sort of, you know, like I'm don't want to watch TV in bed as a way to sort of calm myself down. But that means for like the past week, I've been going to sleep at like 1 or 2 a.m. Just like nonstop reading. Yeah, that's bad for me. Um, I read every night. I can't fall asleep if I'm not reading a book. I love that. I love that. I'm not reading a book, you know, if you finish one. And well, this doesn't really happen to me anymore because I have like 35 books waiting my TBR, but um, if I didn't have a book, I'd panic. I'd yeah. have to reread something I already read. <laughs> that is, yeah, that is very relatable. I, if anyone in the book community does, but I can't imagine how anyone would exist without a TBR. Mm-hmm. It's my little comfort pile. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> Wonderful. So, Uh, Margarita, would you mind first giving us a summary of your debut novel, A Delicate Marriage, and then just telling us a little bit about yourself? All right. A Delicate Marriage is, as you said, historical fiction. It takes place in Puerto Rico between the 1930s and the 1950s. And that was about 30 or 40 years after Puerto Rico became a U.S. colony. So the story is about Isa, Isabella, but she, we call her Isa a lot in the book. Um, she's a wealthy debutante, and Marco is a poor but really ambitious man. And they fall in love, um, much to her father's chagrin. He tries to do everything in his power to sabotage the relationship. But um, they their love perseveres, and um, Marco kind of turns Isa from a self-centered girl into an idealistic woman. Mm-hmm. And they're kind of all both really uh, working toward or want to work toward um, creating a modern Puerto Rico and improving the living conditions for particularly the poor on the island. So they get married and Isa has fabulous visions of working side by side with Marco and, you know, really making an impact. But he kind of leaves her in the dust to stay home and, and you know, clean the house and take yeah. care of the children. So she's kind of, she's not too happy about that. And in addition, Marco starts kind of losing his populist sensibilities Mm -hmm. he starts to become a little bit of a snob 
And Issa's not too thrilled with that. So she kind of takes matters into her own hands and finds a purpose. But unfortunately, the perp, you know, while they're still both working to improve Puerto Rico and bring it into the 20th century, they have different ideas on how to achieve that goal. And that's where the marriage becomes strained. And um, they need to figure out whether their union, like the union between the U.S. and and Puerto Rico, should continue. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's my summary without giving away any spoilers. Perfect. Yes, we will. (laughs) We will try to be very spoiler free in this episode. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And then would you mind just telling us a little bit about yourself and what led you to write your first book? Okay. Um, well, I am Puerto Rican. I grew up in Puerto Rico. Uh, I was raised by my grandparents mostly. And I came to the States uh, to go to college in Boston and sort of never left. So I'm still here. But um, I had a great career in marketing communications, in advertising and public relations, where I did a lot of writing. Uh, so I've always been a writer, but I was more of a corporate writer, not a creative fiction yeah. um, writer. And when I stepped back from my career a little bit, I had some time to think about the kind of writing that I wanted to do for myself. So I was a young mom. I did. I wrote parenting essays. Um, and then I started delving into memoir essays about growing up in Puerto Rico in the 60s and 70s. And that eventually led to a full-fledged novel. That's amazing. And I had to wait till the kids were, you know, in college. So I would have the time and <laughs> mental yeah. space to do it. <laughs> That's totally fair. It's hard to find time if you've got two kids running around. <laughs> well, yeah. And also, you know, if your work, if your work is writing... Who wants to come home and write some more? (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. It just feels like more work. Yeah. I didn't have the bandwidth to, you know, do my own writing while I was writing as a career. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So in the acknowledgments, and then I think on your website, you stated that um, a delicate marriage has uh, drawn a bit from the stories you grew up listening to and mm-hmm. from your own life. Uh, can you speak to really what you drew from and what parts of those stories specifically inspired this book? Isa and Marco are based on my grandparents. And my grandmother was a wealthy debutante and my grandfather was a completely self-made man, came from nothing. And my great-grandfather her father tried everything in his power to sabotage that relationship and keep them apart because he thought my grandfather just wanted to marry my grandmother for her money. You yeah. know, like give the woman some credit. Right? <laughs> so he did a lot of the things that Don Gabriel, Isa's father, does in the book. Really? Actually, real things that happened, (laughs) Um, including the last thing that Isa does that um, finally gets her way. But the stories seem to me so glamorous. Mm -hmm. All these balls they attended and all the men in black tie and the women in these beautiful gowns. I have a photo of my grandmother in a ball gown that is covered 
with live or- orchids. Live orchids are pinned all over from oh my the hair to the skirt to the bodice. And, you know, this is this was her world that she lived in. And, and I always thought it was so glamorous and, and yeah. fun. So I always wanted to write a little bit about that. And certainly I very much uh, admired my grandfather's rise uh, from really nothing. They were yeah. very, very poor to, you know, a pretty wealthy man. So he he made himself and um, I thought it was a, a, a interesting story. You know, once they get together um, and once my grandparents got together, my grandmother was very subservient to him. She was nothing like Isa. She okay. didn't really have a lot of agency. So that's where the the you know the story is no longer based on okay. parents. Once <laughs> yeah. they get married, it's all made up. <laughs> Although there are, you know, personality traits, but the actual yeah. events are all made up. <laughs> That's Historical good. fiction, right? <laughs> exactly, exactly. No, but um the courtship, yeah, it just felt so much like a fairy tale, mm-hmm. you know? It was it was truly just very romantic. And I'm very curious just about Isa and Marco's relationship. What would you say was like one of your favorite parts of their courtship and marriage to write about? Well, definitely writing about the actual courtship because I felt like I was bringing my grandparents to life. Yeah. Uh, So that was a lot of fun. But I also had a lot of fun writing about their strained relationship. Mm, Yeah. You know, because conflict is interesting, right? So I really liked writing their arguments and um, giving Issa some feistiness, right? Yeah. In in the marriage and um, having her stand up for herself. So that was fun, too. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, my gosh. She's great. She's such a, a strong woman who knows her own mind. And and I really I loved just the ever changing quality of their relationship. And I feel like uh, what a delicate marriage does is there's this balance between the politics and the romance. And it's constantly changing, um, just depending on where they're both at in their beliefs and in their relationship. And I was just wondering if you would mind sort of speaking to how that political landscape in Puerto Rico really affected both of them and um, later on their marriage. Mm -hmm. Sure. Um, Well, let me give you a a little bit of background Mm -hmm. as to the history that happens before the story begins. So Puerto Rico was a Spanish colony for 400 years. Yeah. And um, Christopher Columbus discovered the, well, discovered, you know, the (laughs) island was there. But (laughs) he did nothing. (laughs) He came to the island um, on his second voyage and the Spanish colonized it and lived there happily for 400 years. And by the end of the 1800s, all of the other Spanish colonies had gotten their independence from Spain. All the South American and Central American um, colonies were independent countries now. So Puerto Rico was one of the the last few. Cuba was, was about to become independent and there was Puerto Rico still hanging on. And they, (laughs) you know, they, they wanted autonomy. Yeah. So, So Spain said, okay, you know, Yes, you can have auto- autonomy. It's 1897. Take a year 
to, let's take a year to make the transition. So the Puerto Ricans are excited. They're printing their own money. They're figuring out how they're going to move forward with their own government. And the Spanish-American War happens. As we know, Spain loses that war. And Puerto Rico, still a colony, becomes a spoil of war and uh, is ceded to the United States. So the Puerto Ricans had had a tiny little taste of what independence could look like, yeah. what autonomy could mean for them when, once again, they're a colony. So a lot of the population at the time that I write the story in the 30s felt that they'd been robbed Yeah, and really resented the American presence on the island. But then there was a new generation that saw the Americans as as beneficial to Puerto Rico as um, a country that could help them move forward into modernity. So that's kind of like where the two factions were. One wants independence and the other one wants to work with the Americans. Okay. That political landscape is what Isa and Marco's marriage stands on. And it's pretty shaky because mm-hmm. they're very, very different approaches to, to achieving the same goal. Yeah. So they each pick an opposing faction and... What happens within those factions really affects how their marriage moves forward. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. There's just so much that happens even in the 20 years that you Mm -hmm. cover in this book. And I can't even imagine, you know, how much dedication must have gone into the research um, for this story. And you might have known quite a bit beforehand, but I'm just sort of curious to know, what was there anything that kind of surprised you about this era of Puerto Rico's history? A lot. Yeah. <laughs> a lot surprised me. Well, first of all, in Puerto Rico, I, you know, I went to high school in Puerto Rico. And in order to graduate, you have to take Puerto Rican history. It's one of the requirements. It's all of half a semester, senior year. No one's paying attention. Yeah, <laughs> because we don't want to get out of there. No one's paying attention, right? So you learn the basics, and then you also learn what you hear from the stories of your family, and perhaps what political side they fall on. And now the politics in Puerto Rico are really divided between statehood and status quo. So that's really the argument now where statehood wasn't even um, a thought in the 30s, really. Mm. Uh, So when I delved into the research, I really wanted to understand what was happening between uh, the 1930 and 1950. I learned, I got an education, really, in the history of Puerto Rico. And I learned a lot about really what the motivations for the people who were in power were, that perhaps they weren't 100% altruistic and may Mm -hmm. have been somewhat self-serving. And some of the people that were revered as the leaders of of the time really kind of were problematic. Yeah. So that was really interesting because my family was very much uh, in support of the leader, the big leader of the time that brought industry to the island. His name was Luis Munoz Marin, 
but I have read a lot in retrospect, you know, history has a way of revealing uh, yeah. truths, right? And when when uh, government documents have become available and such, that perhaps it wasn't, you know, the best thing for the island at the time, yeah. after all. So that really made me sad. Yeah, of course. Because it's something that I thought was so great my whole life. Really, it wasn't. Yeah. Um. Do you feel like with this book and with the research that you've done that you feel so much more understanding or closer to your like ancestors and your history? A hundred percent. Yeah. I feel like I, I'm a born again Boricua. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> it's like, oh, now I understand my roots and my real history. I get it. And, you know, and I'm, like I said, it's also, it's also made me sad because some of the things that yeah. my grandfather was so proud of, one of them is called Operation Bootstrap, and that was to bring industry to the island. And they were so successful at doing that. Um, it created jobs. It was wonderful. But the trade-off was that the companies got tax breaks. So they mm. weren't really contributing to um, the island in yeah. the way that, you know, a, a corporation normally would. And when the tax breaks ended, they left. Oh, God. So, yeah. you know, there went all the jobs and, and, and all of the industry. So it wasn't good, I guess, for, for some for, for a, a moment in time, yeah. it was good, but in the long run, not so much. Yeah, no, I can definitely see that. It's uh, it's so hard to see those things, I think, when you're living in it and when you're going Absolutely. through it. And it, it probably felt like a huge blessing at the time to sort of bring industry and work to the island. And yeah, hindsight really is 50-50 on it some is. of and, things. You know, people were blinded by modernity, you know, Um yeah. During the 1930s and even still in the 50s, people lived in, in Puerto Rico in the mountains in straw houses, in wooden little wooden shacks with tin roofs, you know, and those existed alongside the Caribe Hilton Hotel in San Juan, which was a monument to modernity. Yeah. And it's, it, it's just so heartbreaking that that was happening at the same time. It's crazy to even think about. It's almost hard to picture how two completely different worlds can be living on the same island, really. Absolutely. Yeah. But your book, I think it's so clear that your family is a big inspiration for you. And it's such a an honest but huge celebration of your culture and Puerto Rico's history. And I'm just uh, wondering, was there anything that you knew that you were going to include about um, Puerto Rico or its culture um, before you even started writing? Uh, well, one of the things I wanted to do was to, I'll ha- I have two answers to that question. Mm-hmm. One of the things that I wanted to accomplish with this book was to educate a little bit, because yeah. if Puerto Ricans don't really know their own history, Americans know even less. Yeah. Puerto Rico's maybe a footnote in a history textbook of, you know, when you're studying the Spanish-American War. Most Americans um, didn't even know Puerto Rico was part of the United States right after Maria. Like, more than 50% of Americans didn't know. 
So when I came to the States, I got asked questions like, how did you get your green card when we're U.S. citizens? Or was your house near a village? (laughs) I grew up in a city. My freshman roommate called me Maria for the first two weeks that we lived. No. Yes. I think she saw West Side Story too many times. So... And I still I still get questions like that. I get I've been told I don't look Puerto Rican. Well, you know what? We come in all shades. Yeah. From, from pale to dark. And so part of me really wanted to spread the word and explain what this Puerto Rico is all about, right? From a historic mm-hmm. yeah. perspective. But I also wanted to get people excited about the culture. Mm-hmm. So what did I want to include? I wanted to include everything <laughs> I thought <laughs> about the culture because it's so rich and yeah. so colorful. And the food is amazing. So there's a lot of food in this book, how it looks, how it smells, how it tastes. There's, um, we have a, a wonderful legacy of, of literature, even in the 1930s to 50s. There was wonderful poets and writers. So I talk about them in the book. The music, you know, the the highbrow music of the balls and the lowbrow music of the people. Music is such a huge part of the culture and it's so lively. And salsa did not exist in the 1930s or the 50s. It was invented (laughs) in the late 50s. So um, there's no salsa in my book. Um, The humor of the people, the people are funny. Yeah. And the harder life gets, the, the funnier they are. And they have a little saying for everything. Like, um, you know, in the vein of the early worm, what is it? The early bird gets the worm, right? Mm-hmm. We have a saying like that for everything. And they're <laughs> called dichos. And I actually found a book that tried to compile them all. So, really? while, yes, while I was writing this, this novel, I would flip through the book and find, you know, a good dicho to throw in because I have a character, Carmen, who is a maid. Um, in Isa's house, who knows every Dicho, you know, in existence. So she was my Dicho-centric character, and I had a lot of fun writing her. So all of those things um, I hope to to bring to life. And in addition, the landscape, the fauna, the flora, uh, what the beauty of the island, too, mm-hmm. I hoped to bring to life. I mean... I think you definitely succeeded. I I just felt like the book was so lovely and and you know um harrowing and gripping at times but just like really romantic and I just I really really enjoyed my read. Um I'm so glad. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, I wanted to tell the stories of the two Puerto Ricos that existed at the time. Yeah. You know, there was a beautiful one. Well, it's the nature's always beautiful, but there was a, a wealthy one and a poor one. And yeah. the difference was very, very marked. Yeah, it, it really felt like two different worlds, for sure. One of our last big questions. I'm wondering if you have a favorite line or section of your book that you would like to share with us. I have two favorite sections. Perfect. 
the prologue and the epilogue. And I'll tell you why. The prologue is in set in 1928 mm-hmm. when a, a huge, huge hurricane a la Maria called the San Felipe hurricane hit the island really, really hard and pretty much destroyed most of the the structures on the island and caused many, many deaths. And that hurricane affects both Isa and Marco in different ways. But the prologue is really Marco's experience with the hurricane. Mm-hmm. As I was writing the book, Maria, Hurricane Maria happened. And I thought, wow, I could actually have an epilogue that was Hurricane Maria and sort of bookend the story with two hurricanes. Yeah. So in the um, epilogue, I have a son of Isa and Marco who has lived through Maria and is, you know, experiencing the aftermath of the hurricane. And for me, um, the, the, you know, poignant part of that was that not too much changed. Yeah. Um, as far as, you know, how the United States um, helped after the hurricane in 1928 and the hurricane in 2017. It's just really telling. And I I really liked those parts too. I felt like they were such a good sort of opening and closing, sort of a reflection mm-hmm. of the entire story. Yeah, I really enjoyed sort of seeing how the family has moved on. Um, in right. I don't want to give away who it is, but... <laughs> no, it did give me an opportunity to actually say, oh, and by the way, all of this also happened um, yeah. since, since you you know, the story ended, which was yeah. kind of fun. A bit of a previously <laughs> on, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, Margarita, moving away from a delicate marriage just a little bit, a question that we've asked... A lot of the authors that we bring on the podcast and a lot of our guests generally, um, and I hope it's not too much pressure, but uh, what is your favorite book? (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Of course, that's an impossible (laughs) Yeah, I know. (laughs) But I have picked one because I have been asked this question many times. Okay. Just as a reader, but also as an author. So... I picked one. I said, okay, I'm going to put a stake in the ground and I'm going to say that The World According to Garp by John Irving is my favorite book. Nice. And now you're going to ask me why. Of course, I I have to. As a reader, as an interviewer, it's my job Mm -hmm. to know why. (laughs) Okay. Have you read that book, Maggie? I've not. Okay. You have to read it. It's amazing. It's such a great story and it's got everything. It's funny it's sad it's poignant it's weird it (laughs) gets dark at times um and it was written in 1978 and one of the main characters is a feminist and yeah and another of the main characters is um transgender so this book was way before its time right yeah um ultimately it's about family which is always a great subject. Um, but a Garp, 
one of the, well, the title character is a writer. So I really like that part of it too. And there's a story that he writes that's, you know, incorporated into the book. So it's got so many layers and it's yeah. just got so much going on. And the characters are fantastic. Uh, I always recommend it. That's perfect. I um, have added a little Google tab. I'm adding it to my <laughs> list. <laughs> I will be sure to check it out. And tell me what you think. I will do. I will absolutely let you know. Thank you so much. I always appreciate a good book recommendation. Of course. Uh, cheeky little question. Hope it's okay that I ask. But because I'm going back to a delicate marriage, I'm so sorry. Um, <laughs> because it was, you know, uh, you gained so much inf- inspiration from your family. And in your acknowledgments, you thanked um, your family and your daughters. And I'm just sort of wondering, what was their reaction to your book? My my husband and daughters? What yeah. They oh, they love it. Yeah. They love it. They're my best cheerleaders. They really are. And my husband, you know, on our first date, I told him I wanted to write a book. That was 34 years ago. It took me that long. But you did but- it. I did it and he's like my number one support. He is absolutely the best. I thought you were going to ask me what my grandparents thought oh, about the book. Um, they're, they're, they died a long time yes, ago. So. I assume that. I didn't want to say that, but I did assume that they were no longer with me. Yeah. So they're, and, you know, here's my advice. If you're writing a book based on um, your family, wait till they're gone. <laughs> <laughs> because then you don't have to deal with the repercussions. <laughs> and my cousin actually has told me that he's so glad I wrote this book because, well, the courtship part, because it is yeah. so, so um, based on, you know, the real events that he had never heard a lot of these stories. So he was oh, wow. so excited to get to know my grandparents in, in a different way. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's amazing. But oh my god, my grandparents would die. <laughs> it's a little too close to home, I'm sure. <laughs> I'm sure. I'm so sure. <laughs> it has been so lovely to have you on the podcast. I've had such a wonderful time getting to know you more and to hear more about your book. But before we let you go, do you have a favorite independent bookshop where people can purchase your book? Um, I do. It's in the Boston area. Okay. Um, and I'll tell you quickly why it's my favorite. The name of the store is Brookline Booksmith. And it's my favorite because sometime in 2011, I attended my first author talk at Brookline Booksmith. And um, it was so interesting and I loved it so much. And I was chatting with people and the woman who introduced the author uh, told me about a place in Boston called Grub Street, where people learned the craft of novel writing. Mm. So I was very excited to check out Grub Street, and I did, and I took classes and eventually wrote my novel that is now on the shelves at Brookline Booksmith. So I feel like I went full circle with that bookstore. But if you don't, if you don't have access to Brookline Booksmith, because I'm sure people from all over are listening to this podcast, yeah. you can go on bookshop.org. Oh, perfect. And 
And that is a um, a way to support your local bookstore, but still purchase online. That's amazing. Um, thank you so much. I will link both of those places to the episode description if you guys are interested in purchasing A Delicate Marriage. And if um, you are interested in following Margarita's writing journey and just more about her, do you have socials or a website where people can follow you? I do. My website is Margarita Baresi, B-A-R-R-E-S-I. Most people know how to spell Margarita. That's up the drink. So MargaritaBaresi.com. Or I'm on Facebook and Instagram as Margarita Baresi. Perfect. I will link all of that information as well. Um, so you guys can continue following Margarita on her writing journey. And um, with that, I just want to thank you so much. It was such a blast to have you here, especially as my last interview of the season. I had so much fun. And you guys, I don't want to peer pressure you, but this episode is coming out with just enough time to purchase the book for a Christmas gift. So dare I say you should. <laughs> thank you so much, Maggie. I thank had a blast. Thank you so much. Uh, thank happy you. Happy holidays you. to you. Happy holidays to you too. Thank you. Well, we heckin' did it, you guys. Thank you so much for listening. If you like what you heard, share us with your other bookish friends and family. And if you're listening with Spotify or Apple Podcasts, be sure to rate and review the show. I am off to do my newest video for our Patreon. I am now doing a series where I will be talking about all the books that I am currently reading every single month as I no longer have an Instagram to post about them. <laughs> um, and if you are interested in joining our Novel Finds community on the Patreon, please follow the link in our bio. And be sure to follow us on Instagram at Novel Finds Podcast. Thank you so much for being a novel friend. We will see you all next time.